Robert McNamara, who served as Secretary of Defense during the height of the Cold War, was asked in 2002 about how close we actually came to nuclear war with the Russians. To which he replied, closer than we ever knew. This is a story about just how close we actually came to nuclear Armageddon and the lone man who prevented it. I would wager that many of you have never even heard of Vasily Arkhipov, and that's a tragedy, because Vasily Arkhipov might have saved us all. I'm Jake Barton, welcome to Historium. Episode 1, The Man Who Saved the World. Outside of Moscow in 1926, a peasant mother looked into the eyes of her newborn son. I assume, like most mothers, she hoped that her son would one day change the world. But Vasily Arkhipov would do much more than that. Vasily's childhood looked a lot like America's anti-communist propaganda about Russian life. Harsh winters, bread lines, those Russian fur hat things. You get the idea. In an attempt to escape all that being a Russian peasant entails, Arkhipov joined the Russian Navy just as soon as he could. Eventually, he was stationed on a minesweeper that was sent to the Pacific Theater just in time to catch the last scene and the end credits of World War II. His ship arrived just days after the Americans dropped some experimental weapons on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. He and his young shipmates returned home, thinking wartime was over. What he didn't know was that a new, colder one had just begun. Arkhipov remained in the Navy, serving aboard the K-19 Hotel-class nuclear submarine, the first ever nuclear submarine deployed by the Russians. The Soviets rushed it into production to try to keep up with the United States, and as a result, corners were cut in almost every stage of production. Vasily Arkhipov was appointed executive officer of the K-19's maiden voyage. Before said maiden voyage, a man, instead of the traditional woman, attempted to break the ceremonial champagne bottle on the bow of the vessel. The bottle failed to break, bounced off, and fell into the sea. Now, I don't know how well versed you are in maritime traditions, but that is straight up bad luck. There was no backup bottle to attempt a second break, and the submarine had to launch. So those who believed in curses watched nervously as the vessel submerged. The mission was to conduct training exercises off the coast of Greenland. Now do your best to imagine Vasily Arkhipov, tall, soft-faced, solemn-eyed, now 35 years old, shuffling through one of the sub's tight corridors. A submarine is no place for the faint of heart or the claustrophobic. As he headed to the bridge, shoddy Soviet engineering creaked from thousands of pounds of pressure from the ocean surrounding them. Smells of diesel fuel, battery acid, and cigarette smoke lingered in the air. Yep, that's right, you were allowed to smoke cigarettes on a submarine with a nuclear reactor on it. And speaking of that reactor... The nuclear reactor was currently overheating due to a coolant leak. By the time the engineers found out, radiation had spread through the entire engineering bay. It was evacuated and sealed off. The sub's long-range communications were disabled as well. Vasily Arkhipov and many other crewmen 
might have rethought their stance on the importance of bottle-breaking traditions. The captain had a tough choice. Send the engineering crew back inside to try to fix the problem, or hightail it back to Russia before the whole sub blew. Seeing that they were weeks out from port, Vasily watched as the captain gave the order to send over a dozen men to their deaths in an attempt to save the sub. The engineering crew worked for 30 hours straight in highly irradiated conditions, but managed to stop the reactor from overheating. All eight members of the engineering crew became very sick and died within days. Additionally, the entire sub had been slightly irradiated. The K-19 had been sending out distress signals ever since the coolant leak. An American naval convoy had picked up the messages and had offered to help. The captain did not respond to offers of aid because, you know, it was the Cold War. But when the crew found this out, they did not react well, seeing as they were currently on a highly irradiated submarine with a captain denying help from someone close by. Vasily Arkhipov did everything he could to keep the anxious crew from doing anything irrational. The captain could sense this tension, and fearing a mutiny, decided to throw all weapons overboard. They eventually reached the port, with over a dozen more crew members dying within the year. The K-19 was promptly given the nickname, the Hiroshima. Nuclear meltdowns and near-death experiences weren't enough to keep Arkhipov out of the Navy. Years later, Vasily found himself second in command once again, this time for an entire fleet of submarines. He was stationed on a sub called the B-59, because Russians love boring names. The B-59 was under the command of Captain Valentin Savitsky. Square-jawed, dark crew-cut, bushy eyebrows, notoriously hot-headed, when you imagine a stern Soviet submariner, you imagine Captain Valentin Savitsky. The fleet was ordered to be stationed in the Caribbean. Now, Russia decided to mothball its nuclear submarine program after the K-19 incident, so this fleet was not comprised of nuclear submarines, but rather diesel-electric submarines that were armed with nuclear weapons. These diesel-electric subs had performed very well in training missions. However, those training missions took place in the freezing waters of the Arctic Circle, not in the warm waters of the Caribbean. The diesel-electric subs were ill-equipped to deal with these warmed waters, not having any form of air conditioning on board. As a result, when the fleet reached the far-from-frigid Caribbean waters, the average temperature in the subs was a scorching 110 degrees day and night. Couple that with limited rations that allowed only one glass of water per day, and it was safe to say that the crew of the B-59 was not having a good time. It was in these horrible conditions that the fleet also lost radio contact with Moscow. And on top of all of this, both metaphorically and literally, almost the entire American Atlantic fleet was being stationed right above them. To consider this threat to hemispheric security and to invoke Article 6 and 8 of the Rio Treaty in support of all necessary action. The United Nations Charter allows for regional security arrangements, and the nations of this hemisphere decided long ago against the military presence of outside powers. Our other allies around the world
Vasily Arkhipov found himself smack dab in the middle of the Cuban Missile Crisis. The captain desperately tried to contact Moscow, but their long-range radios were not functioning. The only thing that they could pick up was Miami radio stations. The crew huddled around the radios to listen to JFK tell the American people that they were now at DEFCON 2. The water of the Caribbean may have been warm, but the air inside the B-19 was reaching a boiling point. Suddenly, depth charges began going off all around the B-19. The American fleet, not knowing of the submarines below them, began dropping these depth charges for a field test. The submarine dove deep, now out of range of even the Miami radio stations. Captain Savitsky believed that this was the end, that World War III had begun. He called for the nuclear torpedo to be armed. If there's one thing we're certain of, it's that humans do crazy things when they think it's the end of the world. However, Russian regulations required three keys to be inserted into the command module in order for the torpedo to be fired. One for the submarine captain, one for the political advisor, and one for the fleet commander. Both the captain and the political advisor put their keys in the module. Both looked to Vasily Arkhipov. We'll never know what was said in that conversation in a cramped compartment thousands of feet underwater, but the result of the conversation would change the course of human history. The captain yelled and screamed at Arkhipov to hand over his key, eventually even threatening to kill him and put the key in himself. But Arkhipov stood his ground. Arkhipov said no. We'll never know what he was thinking down there, in a sweltering control room of a cramped sub, shaking from depth charges exploding above it. But I have a theory. I think Mr. Arkhipov had a good idea of what radiation does to a man. He had seen it firsthand. During the radiation leak in the K-19, he saw his closest comrades succumb to the effects of radiation poisoning. He wasn't about to let possibly millions more suffer the same fate. We don't know what was said, but we know it was enough. Enough to not give over his key, enough for the captain to relent, enough to prevent Armageddon. Because if the B-59 did launch its nuclear payload at the American carrier, there would have inevitably been a nuclear retaliation from the Americans. The concept of mutually assured destruction would have been carried out. This podcast would have been produced in some underground bunker under a radioactive wasteland, but more likely not made at all. Millions, possibly billions, would have been killed in nuclear strikes, or from the fallout, or from the famines of a nuclear winter, or from countless other means of death in a post-apocalyptic hellscape. But none of that happened, because Vasily Arkhipov stood his ground. And he did for a long time. The captain argued with Arkhipov until the sub ran out of air and was forced to surface. When they did, they found that the rest of the fleet had already done the same. They were greeted by the USS Randolph, an aircraft carrier that was one key away from being consumed in nuclear fire just minutes before. The Americans made no attempt to board the sub. The B-59 repaired its radio communications and was told by Moscow that they were to report home.
The Cuban Missile Crisis, one that they were almost entirely unaware of, had ended. Most of the crew was just happy to get out of the hot Caribbean waters. The Cuban Missile Crisis was seen as a disappointment from the Soviet side. So when they returned home, they returned home failures. One Russian admiral was noted saying that it would have been better for them to have all have drowned than to have returned home disgraced. Despite all of this, Vasily continued his career in the Navy, eventually becoming head of a prestigious Russian Naval Academy. Throughout his life, he never made a fuss about the incident, telling only his wife. He died in 1998 from kidney cancer due to complications of radiation poisoning that he had got during the K-19 reactor incident, a fate that many more of us would have been subjugated to if he wasn't the one holding the key that day in 1962. In 2002, the communications officer for the B-59 told what happened in the control room back in 1962 at a press conference. Before then, the public never even knew that those subs were armed with nuclear weapons and that the actions of one man prevented their use. Four years after his death, Vasily Arkhipov began to be celebrated as a hero. Vasily's wife, who is still alive today, in an interview called Vasily a real human being, which I believe is one of the highest praises anyone could receive. So wherever you are right now, raise your glass, tip your hat, do whatever you need to do to thank Vasily Arkhipov for saving the world. Historium is a bi-weekly podcast devoted to telling interesting stories from history. If that sounds like something you'd be interested in, follow Historium on Facebook and subscribe on iTunes. I'm Jake Barton. Thanks for listening.